0: Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We've spent the last few weeks looking at Paul's description of the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. That topic begins in verse 10, and some Bible teachers think that Paul concludes the discussion in verse 17. But while Paul mentions the sixth and final piece of armor in verse 17, he's certainly not finished with the topic Because in verse 18, he tells us how we're to be strong in the Lord and how we're to put the armor on. Notice, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Everything that Paul has exhorted us to do in the battle is to be done with prayer. The key to being strong in the Lord is being weak in myself. And there's no clearer expression of my own weakness than prayer. That's one of the reasons so many of us have a problem with prayer, because we don't want to admit that we're weak. We like to think that we're independent and self-reliant and self-sufficient, and prayer flies in the very face of that attitude. It goes against our proud human nature we naturally are determined to make it on our own. And prayer is an embarrassing interruption of that plan. That's why so often we look around to see who's watching when we do pray. Prayer requires humility. It's saying, God, I can't make it on my own. I need you. And that's the attitude we have to have in this spiritual warfare because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual enemies. And though the battle impacts the physical realm, it really takes place in the spiritual realm. Now, Satan would have you believe otherwise. He would have you believe that the physical realm is all that there is. But that's a lie against one of the very basic principles of the universe. And that principle is that the spiritual precedes the physical. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God, spiritual, created the heavens and the earth, physical. And you see, prayer brings that into perspective. Prayer takes my focus off merely the physical and moves me into the spiritual realities behind it. And so when Paul mentions prayer in verse 18, it's not an addendum It's the very heart and soul of our battle strategy. And in verse 18, he tells us three things about prayer. He tells us the scope of prayer, the source of prayer, and the stance of prayer. First of all, he tells us the scope of prayer. If you notice verse 18, the word all is used four times there. He says, at all times, with all prayer and petition, with all perseverance, for all the saints... Now, most of us pray sometimes with some prayers with some degree of perseverance for some of the saints. And Paul is moving us to the alls of prayer. The first is he says we're to pray always or at all times. Many of us don't get serious about prayer until until some calamity happens in our life. We use prayer as a last resort. Kind of like the fellow who was out in the boat with his friends on Sunday morning and the boat began to sink and they looked around and said, somebody better pray. And so this fellow said to God, God, I haven't bothered you in 15 years and if you get me out of this, I promise I'll never bother you again. <laughs> Sometimes we think we're bothering God. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. God wants all our cares. But He doesn't just want us to pray when we have cares he wants us to pray in fellowship with Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God called you, God saved you for the purpose of having fellowship with Him. And there's no greater form of fellowship than prayer. And so prayer is not just me crying out to God every once in a while. It's not just something I do five minutes before I go to bed each night. Prayer is something, as Paul says here, that we are to do always. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 21, 36. He said, watch therefore and pray always. The Apostle said in Acts 6, 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Philippians 4, 6, in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known. To God. And Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1:3, I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. Your life should be a constant exercise of prayer. Sometimes we come upon a situation, we say, This warrants prayer. Let me suggest to you that everything warrants prayer. When I face a temptation, what should I do? Pray. When God blesses me, what should I do? Pray. Thanks. When I see something beautiful, what should I do? Praise God for making that. When I talk to an unbeliever, I'm praying, God, draw this person to you. Everything warrants prayer. We should be praying always. Pray when you walk between classes. Pray when you do the dishes. Pray when you mow the lawn. Maybe you pray double hard when you mow the lawn. Pray when you take a shower. You can pray when you vacuum. You can pray when you're driving in your car. One of the smallest books in my library is a book by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's a book that describes how that he worshipped more in his kitchen than he did in his cathedral. And his key was, he said, when I got up from my planned time of prayer, I saw no difference between that and the other activities of the day, because I continued in communion with God. That's what Paul's saying here. We're to pray always. I've heard sermons on prayer with an emphasis on pray in the morning. Pray in the morning. Well, I think it's good to pray in the morning, but we shouldn't stop there. David said in Psalm 55 that he prayed evening and morning and noon. Daniel prayed three times a day. Luke 6 says Jesus prayed all night. First Timothy 5.5 5 says the widows prayed night and day. It's to be a lifestyle. It's to be a continual communion with the Lord. I never put the receiver back on the hook. See, sometimes we pray and we say, Lord, we come into Your presence. We never have to pray that because we should stay continually in His presence. Paul says we pray at all times. The second all in verse 18 is with all prayer and petition. In other words, all kinds of prayer and petition. In other words, there's variety to prayer. Now, some of you were raised in churches where you had memorized prayers. There's nothing wrong with memorized prayers as long as they become your prayer from your heart to the Lord. And as long as that's not the only prayer you pray. Because Paul says here we're to have variety in prayer. I spent the summer one time in a home where they had a memorized prayer before the meal. And I always noticed when the food was better, the prayer was faster. But it's easy for me to criticize that, yet when I look at my own life, I find that oftentimes I pray in autopilot. And I string together a bunch of pious cliches, and I find myself saying things to God that mean absolutely nothing because I'm just saying memorized words. When I was a kid, our parents stressed that we should pray before each meal, and so I had a prayer that I memorized. I had to memorize it because sometimes it asked me to do it out loud, so I had to have the prayer memorized. And I don't remember the prayer specifically, but I remember it began, Our Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father. I learned that one from my older brother. And that's the way I started the prayer, but I had it down so I could nail that thing in about five seconds And be done. In fact, I knew it so well that one time I answered the phone that way. (laughs) Now, that's a problem. When prayer is so automatic pilot that you can just say the words and not mean them. And Paul says here we're to have variety in prayer. There's short prayers, there's long prayers, there's public congregational prayers, there's private closet prayers. There are out loud prayers, there are silent prayers, there are planned prayers and spontaneous prayers. There are before test prayers and after failure prayers. There are requests, thanksgivings, confessions, humiliations, praise. You can pray kneeling, standing, sitting, lying prostrate on the ground. You can even pray hanging on a cross as the thief did. Or you can pray being stoned to death, as Peter did in Acts chapter 7. I used to say there's only one posture I don't recommend in prayer, and that is lying prostrate on your bed at night. However, if that's not the only time you pray, I think that's a good time to pray too. Because it's good to go to sleep at night talking with the Lord. I find when I do that, I have some interesting dreams. You know, I dream I'm having a big crusade, and hundreds of people are coming forward... Paul says we're to pray at all times and in all ways. And while we're on the subject of posture in prayer, you know, we often say, fold your hands, bow your head, close your eyes. Uh, That's not really a scriptural posture for prayer. Nowhere does it say that. Uh, I think it's a good idea to close your eyes because it often eliminates distractions, but in Mark chapter 6, it says, Jesus prayed, looking up into heaven. And out where we are in the country, I love to go out in the backyard on the deck and just sit down, look up into the stars at night and talk to the Lord. That's a posture in prayer. Another posture that's interesting to me, that Scripture has a lot to say about raising your hands in prayer. And sometimes we get alarmed by people raising their hands. We think they're going to you know, jump a pew or something next. <laughs> I, I went to a really conservative Bible school and, and that was sort of looked down on. I remember when... When Bill got saved, we had chapel every day, and, and I was sitting next to him in the back of the chapel session and, and we were singing the songs, and I and I looked over at Bill, he had his hands straight up in the air. I said, Oh no, what, <laughs> what have I created here? And so I looked down at what we were singing. We were singing Psalm 63, I will lift up my hands in thy name. Now what was I going to say to him? There's the scripture laying it out. First Timothy chapter two and verse eight says, I want the men in every place to pray. Lifting holy hands. We need to be careful where we draw lines and distinctions. Lifting the hands is such a beautiful expression because I think it's really saying, God, I'm empty, and I need you to fill me. And it's also saying, Lord, I exalt you because you deserve the highest place. It's scriptural symbolism, and we need to take advantage of that. He says we pray with all prayer, that's kind of general, and petition, that's specific, Some of us only pray general prayers. When I was a kid, I used to pray, God bless the world. Now, that's pretty general. It's sometimes hard to figure out if He answered that prayer. But we are to pray specifically as well. Jesus said in John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in My name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask, Jesus said, I'll do it. Why? So that God will be glorified. And God wants you to ask specific prayers so that He can answer specifically, so that He can be glorified specifically. That's one of the reasons I recommend that you keep a prayer list. Not just so that you won't forget what you're praying about, but that on that prayer list, you can then write down when God answers your prayer. And your prayer list becomes a praise list, thanking God for what He's done and encouraging your faith to see that He is answering prayer. Third all, verse 18, is with all perseverance. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus told the story and said, suppose you go to your neighbor and knock on his door and say, I just had company drop in unexpectedly and I need you to loan me three loaves of bread. And your neighbor says, the door's locked, the kids are in bed, I'm not getting up, go away. Jesus says he won't get up necessarily just because he's your friend, but he will get up if you're persistent. Just to get rid of you, he'll give you the bread. And then he applied it this way, saying literally, keep on asking, and it will be given. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. We are to pray specifically and persistently. Prayer isn't always easy. Jesus' sweat in prayer. The word earnest is used in association with prayer in Scripture. It's something we have to continue doing. I think sometimes some of us quit praying just about the time God's formulated the answer. We need to be persistent. We need perseverance in our prayer. Sometimes people ask, well, why do you pray for people week after week after week? Because God hasn't answered yet. And God hasn't said no. So we continue to ask because we're to be persistent. We're to persevere in prayer. And then the fourth all is for all the saints. When we're honest about our prayer life, most of us spend the majority of it praying for ourselves. We're even selfish in our prayer life. But the emphasis in Scripture is on praying for others. And so Paul says, pray for all the saints. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said we're to come to the Father and say, our Father, not my Father. Our Father, because we come as members of a huge family and we need to be praying for those other people in the family of God. In fact, in the next verse, Paul says, verse 19, and pray on my behalf. Pray for all the saints. And Paul says, and pray for me. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us Paul had already been to the third heaven and back. I would think that a guy that had been to the third heaven and back wouldn't even need prayer. But Paul says, I want you to pray for me. And if Paul needed prayer, we need prayer too. Pray for all the saints. Do you know the needs of your friends and your family? Do you know my needs? Do I know your needs? When's the last time you prayed night and day for somebody else? That's the kind of prayer he's calling us to. Several years ago, a young lady came up to me from another city, and she said, uh, is there anything you'd like me to pray about for you? And I told her about a specific need I had at the time. And she said, I'm going to commit myself to pray for that, but I want you to contact me and let me know when the Lord answers that prayer. Well, you know what I did? I started praying for her. Because if anything happened to her, then she wouldn't be praying for me. <laughs> That's the way prayer ought to operate. I don't have to wait till I have something to pray about. I should be locked into your prayer requests. And so we're all praying. If we all individually pray for ourselves, that's not much prayer. If we pray for each other, there's a network there, and the prayers are multiplied. We're to pray for all the saints. You know, it's interesting in Scripture, there's not a great emphasis in Scripture on praying for sinners. This doesn't say pray for all people, it says pray for all the saints. Because there's really only one prayer request for sinners, and that is that they become saints, that they get saved. The emphasis in Scripture is on praying for the saints because if saints ever start acting like saints, sinners are in trouble anyway. The way to reach the lost is to get sinners living like sinners, and so the emphasis of prayer is to pray for the saints, that we would be who God has called us to be so that we can reach out to a lost world. We're to pray for all the saints. That means even the ones that you don't get along with real well. Even the ones that have personalities different from yours. When I first went to Bible college, I was coming from Denver, Colorado, and I'd come with long hair and got it cut off, and I was living on my own, doing whatever I wanted to do, and I got there, and they had a curfew at 10.30 every night. And I got the strictest guy heading up my floor that you could find, and he would stand at the door with his watch like this and want to know why I was 30 seconds late. And I couldn't stand that. And I couldn't stand him. And I was sharing that with somebody some, one day as a prayer request, of course, and uh, they said to me, well, have you ever thought about praying for him? I said, well, no, I haven't thought about that. I said, well, why don't you start praying for him? So I committed myself to pray for him, found out what his needs were, began to get to know him better, and you know what happened? He became one of my best friends. Prayer oftentimes changes us. Paul says we're to pray for all the saints. There's the scope of prayer. All prayer and petition at all times, with all perseverance for all the saints. And then the second point he gives us here is the source of prayer. And that's in verse 18 in that little phrase, in the Spirit. In chapter 1, Paul says we're to be enlightened by the Spirit. In chapter 3, he says we're to be strengthened by the Spirit. Chapter 5, he says we're to be filled with the Spirit. And now he says we're to be praying In the Spirit. The pattern in Scripture is that we pray to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Now, what's it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, I think it means a couple things. Number one, it means in harmony with the Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, it means to be in tune with the mind of God. Let me show you a verse. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2 9. Paul says, just as it is written things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. God has prepared things for us. He says it hasn't entered man's ear or eye or heart yet. So how do we understand them? Verse 10, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. And then notice verse 12. It's, it's amazing. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. See, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I know what my thoughts are, because I have a human spirit inside of me. Imagine if I could give you my spirit. That would be real scary for me, because then you would know my thoughts. See, God has done that. The Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God, and He has taken His spirit and put His spirit inside of us. So what do we have access to? The mind of God. What's it mean to be in the spirit? you're not in the Spirit because you shouted. You're not in the Spirit because you fainted. You're not in the Spirit because you felt anything. You're in the Spirit because your thoughts correspond with the words of God. And in prayer, Paul says we're to pray in the Spirit. That is, we're to allow the Spirit of God to communicate to us the mind and will of God so that we're praying according to His will. That's the reason many of us don't get our prayers answered, because we have our own agenda. And we're not willing to pray in the Spirit to allow Him to make our thoughts line up with His thoughts. James put it this way in James 4.3. He said, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Like the fifth grader who had the geography test and afterwards prayed, dear God, please make Detroit the capital of Michigan. <laughs> See, prayer isn't about me getting my will done in heaven. It's about God getting His will done on earth. The goal of prayer is the will of God because that's the only prayer request He answers. And the way I discern that is by praying in the Spirit, allowing Him to communicate to me the truth of God so that I can pray according to His will. I think this means a second thing also. I think it means to pray in the energy of the Spirit. Not only does the Spirit give me guidance as to what to pray, He also initiates the desire in me to pray. In fact, in Zechariah 12.10, the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of supplication. God has placed within me the Spirit of prayer. Paul put it this way in Galatians 4.6. He says, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit has come in, and what does He want to do? He wants us to pray to call God Father, to come into His presence all the time. He motivates us to prayer. He initiates prayer. In fact, He's so committed to prayer that even when we're so immature that we can't understand the mind of God, or even when we come on a situation where we don't even know how to pray, Romans chapter 8 and 26 says, the Spirit Himself intercedes with, uh, for us with groanings too deep for words. He's so committed to prayer that even when we don't know the words and we're not even knowing how to pray, He prays for us and takes those things to God. So the source of prayer is in the Spirit. He gives us both the desire and the direction. And then the third point here on prayer is the stance of prayer. And that's seen in that little phrase where He says, Be on the alert. Prayer requires that we be alert can't be drowsy can't be lazy can't have our mind filled with other things and preoccupied with distractions we have to be alert to the things around us so oftentimes we pray prayers that really don't mean much we say things like God be with me on this job interview God go with us on this trip what's wrong with that prayer He's already doing that. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I don't need to ask Him to do that. What I need to ask Him is to help me to realize that you're with me and to be confident in that. Sometimes we sit down before a meal and it's all greasy and gooey and sugary and we say, Lord, bless this food to my nourishment. Well, he's not going to do that. You know, we we should confess. (laughs) We need to be alert in prayer. Sometimes I'm concerned about our prayer meetings because oftentimes they revolve around all the physical needs. Aunt Martha's rheumatism and Sally's test results and Johnny's broken toe. It's all right to pray about physical needs, but that shouldn't be where we stop. Because we need to pray that God will work through those physical needs to bring about some spiritual changes as well. That God would be glorified in the midst of that illness. That that individual might grow spiritually in the midst of that situation. See, if we're in a spiritual warfare, we've got to be alert to the real needs and oftentimes they're not just the physical things, they're the spiritual things. I was encouraged with uh, Kevin Lawson when he was facing his uh, heart transplant. He had so much peace about it. And the reason he had peace was that he had his spiritual armor on. He was already winning the battle before he ever went into the surgery. That's encouraging, that's refreshing. Look at Paul's prayer request in verse 19. He says, Pray for me that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul doesn't say, pray for me, I'm in jail. Pray for me, i got these chains on and they're rubbing my right leg. He says, pray for me that I'll proclaim the Gospel. Pray for me that when Satan comes and tempts me to be quiet, that I'll open my mouth and preach clearly the gospel of Christ. In fact, he says here that the gospel is the reason he's in prison. And in prison, he's saying, pray that I'll have more boldness to preach the truth of God. And then to help them be more alert, he says in verse 21, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you, and I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort us. Your hearts. Tychicus was probably the secretary that wrote this letter for Paul. He's also the mailman who delivered it. And he's going to give them further information about Paul because he wants them to be alert so that they pray accurately. And then as he closes this letter, we see some of his prayer requests for them. Verse 23 Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. What's his desire for them? Grace received by faith and manifest in their life through peace and love. doesn't say anything about any physical needs here. He's talking about their spiritual needs, what they need in the spiritual warfare. And if we're going to pray for those things, we need to be alert. Prayer is the heart and soul of our battle strategy. In Exodus chapter 17, the Amalek's came against Israel. And Moses sent Joshua out into battle, and jo- Moses went up on the hillside and said, I'm going to pray during the battle. And he went up on the hillside and he lifted his arms to the Lord. And the Bible says that when he had his arms in the air, Israel was winning. When he got tired and his arms dropped, Israel began to lose. And so he got Aaron and Hur to, to hold his arms up. Through the battle, and Israel won. Which lets us know that the key to the battle is prayer. I have a friend who died a few years ago, Bob Kennedy from Nashville, and uh, he told me about visiting a lady by the name of Mrs. Bale one time, and he said he visited her. She was an elderly lady at the time, and she had a little prayer book, a little black prayer book, and And when he came over to visit, she said to him, you think the Lord will mind today if I don't get down on my knees to pray through my prayer book because my knees are really sore? And he said, I don't think she'll mind or he'll mind. And he said that she prayed through that little book twice a day. And then he told me that my name was in her prayer book, which tells me that the whole time I was rebelling against the Lord and running my own way, there was a little old lady in Nashville, Tennessee, praying every day for me. And when I look at the way God intervened in my life, I look back and say, there was somebody on the hillside with their hands extended to the Lord, impacting the battle for God. Now, I think we're going to be surprised one day when the Lord gives out rewards, who it is that He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. May not be the preacher, maybe the person in his or her closet who's having the biggest impact on the battlefield. When I was fresh out of college, I was asked to go speak in Colorado Springs at a camp there, and I'd never spoken at a camp before, and I was pretty intimidated by the offer. Uh, In fact, I didn't even have enough messages to go out there, so I was struggling to come up with something to say going out there, and and so I was asking everybody I knew, please pray for me because I've got to go out there and preach. And so meanwhile I prepared a bunch of messages and I thought they were really good. And I uh, went out to Colorado Springs and they told me on the way out there, they said we've got five fellows here and not Christians. And they told me who they were and asked me to really focus in on these guys. So I got out there and I began to preach on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and I realized that these messages that I thought were so great weren't very good. At least I wasn't communicating. I just felt like I was talking and nobody was hearing and I really felt like I was just a bunch of words. And so Tuesday night they were showing a movie and they said, now after this movie we want you to give an invitation. And so they showed this movie and it was one of these hokey Christian movies. It was a drama, but it was so hokey that the kids were laughing all the way through it. So when it got over, the the reel had not caught on the rewind reel. It had gone over the top and down onto the floor. And so when they turned the lights on, there was this huge pile of spaghetti on the floor. And the kids looked at that and they laughed. And so I walk up to the front, I'm going to give an invitation. So I said, now you're going to leave here and you're going to go have refreshments. But if God has spoken to your heart, when I close in prayer, I want you to stay behind. And I want to share with you how you can come to know Jesus Christ. And so I bowed my head and I began to pray. And a 17-year-old boy began to weep uncontrollably in his chair. And everybody left and I sat down with him and he prayed to accept Christ that night. And so I went out from there down to where they were having the refreshments and I was walking down the trail and I heard this rumbling in the bushes and this kid comes out of the bushes and he says, Dan, would you mind sitting down with me and showing me how I could accept Christ? I said, I'd love to. And so we went and sat down and he accepted Christ that night. The next morning I woke up, I had the worst pain I've ever had in my life. It turned out to be a kidney stone. And they rushed me to the hospital and I spent two days in the hospital, and while I was in the hospital, I was thinking, well, how is God going to reach these other kids without me? So the the kids from the camp came up to the hospital and decided they'd come in and see me, and they could only come in two at a time, so they were coming in two at a time and seeing me and leaving, And, and the last two fellows were two of these fellows who were not saved yet, and they came in the room, and and we talked for a while, and, and the conversation kind of died out, and I wondered why, why they aren't leaving. And finally one of them turned to me and said, the reason we decided to come in last was because we want to accept Christ. And so lying there in my hospital bed, they pulled two chairs up by the bed and accepted Christ right there. And, and I got out in time to go back Friday night and preach another lousy sermon. And then they had a campfire, and at the campfire, the fifth fellow walked up to me and he said, you want to take a walk? And I said, yeah. We walked out in the foothills of the Colorado mountains and he accepted Christ into his life. And the message to me was clear. That was my first opportunity to to speak in that kind of situation. The message was clear. God was saying, I don't need fancy messages. I don't really even need you. I just need people to pray to make the difference and you be an empty vessel and I'll make you accomplish something for me. And whenever I go anywhere now, I recruit people to pray for me. Because that's where the power lies.